I've spoken here many times and over the years. On the national stage, Mississippi Governor Haley Barber has had a lot to say as a potential contender for the 2012 Republican presidential nomination. But in his home state, Barber's comments were brief when reporters asked about a move to create a special license plate honoring Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest, who was a KKK leader and slave trader. The state's NAACP had called on Barber to denounce it. I don't go around denouncing people. Barber added there was little chance the state legislature would approve it. The Nathan Bedford Forrest hag is not going to happen. Isn't that what you asked me? Is that what you asked? Yeah, that's what I asked. The answer is not going to happen. The governor's answer fell far short of what Derek Johnson was looking for. He's the president of Mississippi's NAACP chapter. You've heard the governor's response. What do you say to it? Well, I think the governor cannot tap dance this issue. Uh, if Mississippi is going to grow out of its racial path, we have to address racial issues head on. Anytime an organization such as the Son of Confederate Veterans feel comfortable enough to pursue a state-issue license plate, it tells you something about the atmosphere and the political discourse in this state. The Sons of Confederate Veterans is behind the effort to honor General Nathan Bedford Forrest. Besides being a KKK leader, there is also controversy about an 1864 raid at Fort Pillow, Tennessee, and whether Forrest condoned the killing of hundreds of black Union Army members. Those Greg Stewart of the group says Forrest is being unfairly maligned, he calls him a military genius and told station WLBT. If we can't hold him up to where he's supposed to be, then nobody else is going to do it. But already more than 2,000 people have signed up to a Facebook page stating we will not stand for the public glorification of one of the original leaders of the Ku Klux Klan. We did. Aha. Welcome to another working observational transmission. This one being 0625-2020. Let it show on the record that we are live, we are direct, and my god, am I tired as fuck. You know, that report came from nine years ago, which would be 2011. 2011, there was a controversy in Mississippi of whether or not they should add more confederate symbols uh in their atmosphere in their state in their cities in their counties in their neighborhoods they wanted to add more confederate uh symbols and now years later statues are being torn down all over the place and it's because uh this country wants to move on from white supremacy in the proper way by smashing all of their idols because these uh generals oppressors and masters and the soldiers included in their armies are not idols they're not heroes they did not fight for freedom uh fighting uh, for states rights over uh human rights uh it's not hard for me to choose which side of the battle i'm on for that one the reason why I bring this up is because we got to continue asking what the fuck is going on. I thought I was going to talk about COVID. No, no, because there is something that scares me a lot worse than COVID, and that's because it's older than COVID. Well, 
Relatively. It's older than COVID-19. But I, I perceive it to be a real threat to public safety. And I see, yet again, major failures in the media, the mainstream, or even, you know, some, some, the social media, too. Facebook for encouraging hate speech and hate groups, or maybe even just turning a blind eye, which is equal to encouraging on a social media platform. 4chan, 8chan, all, all these places on the internet that uh, Gab allows these people to come together and echo their beliefs, which, you know, First Amendment rights all the way, but the only thing is, is that these beliefs, these thoughts, turn into horrendous actions, and we keep seeing that repeated over and over in history. Like, laps around the sun, we just keep coming back to it. I'm happy to live in the generation that we do that tears down uh, statues without the state's approval, because if we waited, we wouldn't get it. That's pretty pretty powerful stuff. People power saying fuck waiting for the state to uh, pass papers and fill out paperwork when we can just take it down today. End white supremacy today. Why waste any more time? And that report from CNN earlier, like I said, was from 2011. They wanted to add more Confederate iconography in 2011. A group... In Mississippi, the, I believe it was the Sons of the Confederate Veterans, uh, that sounds like they're well-established and, in fact, well-known. Not quite the secret, now are they? While it's not the KKK, it is certainly racist, white supremacist, um, a group focused on creating a white ethno-state or at least a segregated United States, which to me seems a bit counterproductive or maybe even uh, paradoxical contradicting but I think it's important that we stay aware that nothing has really changed from the police since uh, a lot of their days of their origins only for the fact that they have become more and more aware of how they can use certain tactics to avoid accountability and even so if they take the right precautions to evade accountability once they're taken to court by the state the state will then cover for them so that you know once you're in police custody after committing crimes as a police your story starts getting covered up for you and corrected for you depending on the crime mostly what we've seen is that it's when they murder uh, black people that they get the best cover-up stories that the media has ever seen ever seen and they spread it so 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 uh, disingenuously and uh, We just keep going around and around and around and around keep shouting black lives matter black lives matter But what we're not realizing is is whether or not the system that we keep telling black lives matter is compromised by people saying uh, No no, they do not. They're actually three-fifths people. They still don't recognize the laws that have been passed since uh, the emancipation. So, uh, that's what I wanted to touch upon a little bit today. Uh, it's not going to be a long one, uh, because there's a much better podcast doing much better work called Behind the Police, diving in the complete origins. But I wanted to gather a little bit of information that's came that's come out 
recently, relatively recently, at least within the past 20 years, to just say that we we keep talking about it. We keep saying it's in the corner of the room. It's like it's like the boogeyman or the Babadook that it's there. It's in your room. You're trying to sleep, but it just keeps staring at you. So you can't get any real good sleep. And then when you do finally close your eyes, it sticks to your its fucking hand down your throat and you can't breathe. This report here dropped out 10 months ago. Skegan police officer found to have Ku Klux Klan memorabilia on display in his home. City commissioners and the police chief listened as impassioned speakers asked questions and demanded action. News 8's Leon Hendricks just back from Muskegon with a story all new tonight. Leon. Brian and Marley, good evening to both of you. Those who spoke said they wanted the officer off the streets permanently. And for the first time, we hear directly from the city's police chief as his department becomes the subject of scrutiny. Tonight, public comment at the Muskegon City Commission meeting was dominated by one topic. If he has these ideas or if he has these philosophies, does he possibly inflict them on other people of color? The story that's made national headlines, the home of Muskegon police officer Charles Anderson, discovered to have Ku Klux Klan and Confederate flag memorabilia on display. That discovery made by a black family that toured the officer's home listed for sale, intensifying the story, the fact that the officer, Officer Anderson, was involved in the deadly shooting of a black man years ago. It was ruled justified by prosecutors. Uh, Him being on the force, as minorities in Muskegon, we can't live, leave our houses and feel safe. We want to support our officers, but if you've got a racist intent, we can't have you around. Among those with passionate messages at the meeting were those with questions. I was obviously the one that toured Officer Anderson's home. Her husband is the man who made the Facebook post outing the issue. Nobody has contacted my family or myself to ask us what we've seen or, you know, what happened. Um, so I, I just wanted to know why. After the meeting, the Muskegon police chief in his first TV interview since the story broke. Is this reflective of your department? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. This was not an on-duty event. We were taken by surprise when this occurred, and we're taking action now. Outside of this incident, what do you say about Officer Charles Anderson? I, I can't talk about Charles Anderson. We're doing an inquiry. We're going to come to some kind of a conclusion or resolution. Very I was going to let it play all the way out, but the chief and his his words here are pretty important to uh, examine just because he didn't really pose any necessary, like, in, not necessary, but he essentially didn't even, I'm not saying he should have attacked this officer's character, but there's not any opposition to the revelation that he had KKK memorabilia, iconography, and symbols. So he's either aware that there's other officers that have these things, and him talking um, negatively about these items would then reflect poorly on the rest of his staff. That's that's actually all I could see. The reason why he wouldn't actually be condemning white supremacy right now is because it is a part of the Muskegon 
police department at this point. I am making an assumption based off of this man's reaction to the revelations, but it seems like to me that he's not really that interested in rooting out the white supremacy problem, not acknowledging it, and he's not even really acknowledging the character that he had hired. So, or maybe he didn't hire him. Maybe he merely just managed him. But still, we are getting very vague language that does not really add much to this discussion of how are we going to uh, repair Muskegon police relations with the community who is now terrified that their police is full of white supremacists. City leaders vowing to complete a thorough review of the situation and to keep the public apprised as to what happens next. Your first reaction when you heard this story break? Hurt. Just breaks your heart, doesn't it? Um, and it's aggravating and frustrating because you really don't know what's going on. And we've got a lot more from the mayor and the police chief online right now at woodtv.com. Also during the meeting, we heard other concerns about Officer Anderson. One man said he was beaten by the officer for nearly an hour. Another said Jesus. he complained about the officer driving on city property, displaying what he said was the Dixie flag. For now, the officer remains on paid administrative leave. Jesus. We'll be following this one. Jesus. I really hope that they... Wow. I mean, that was 10 months ago, about August, but um, he's on paid administrative leave. Um, I'm sure they didn't fire him. I'm sure they just moved him to another department. Uh, you, I mean, I could f do the research on it, but like, I don't see... If the police are willing to move people around constantly for misconduct and like, uh, excessive force, I don't see why they wouldn't move him just for his... Uh, his stuff, what they consider his personal life, as if his Im his implicit biases wouldn't come out as explicit when he's out patrolling minority communities. Sure, sure. So that's cool. Um, not sure if there ever was a follow up. Let's you know. Let's get. Let's let's uh. I didn't plan on following up on this, but fuck it, police department, bro. Uh, <laughs> Let's see. Did we get a name? Uh, oh, Muskegon USA officer. So, fired police officer defends KKK application, Confederate flags in his Michigan home. Reported from the USA Today, uh, September 24th, 2019. So, I think this might be worth a read since we already dived a little bit on, you know, they, they found a sleeper ghost skin. And that's that's what uh, that's language that we'll get into more as I have this interesting FBI report to go over. But let's let's dive a little bit deeper here on this officer specifically, since we already scratched the surface of his specific case. So coming out of Detroit, Michigan, a police officer was embroiled in controversy last month, being August of 2019, after a man discovered Ku Klux Klan memorabilia inside his home, which was up for sale. The former officer said the reason for having the items is his love for history and a classic TV show. 
Convenient, convenient. Uh, Muskegon City Manager Frank Peterson in the city attorney's office released a 421-page report, one page off, on the investigation of Charles Anderson as well as his history as a police officer before he was fired. According to the report, Robert Mathis toured Anderson's home with his family and a real estate agent August 7th. Oh, so they were touring his house for sale, and he didn't think to take down his hate speech shit? That's that's interesting. He posted a picture on Facebook of a framed KKK application he found. Mathis said in the post that he and his wife, Raina, had been house hunting for more than a month and thought, and thought the house would be perfect for them. He mentioned seeing Confederate flags on the walls, dining room table, and garage. Mm, do you really need, like, one for almost every room? Do you love history that much? Uh, the article goes on, in an interview with the city, Anderson confirmed that he had a Confederate flag hanging in his garage, a flag-decorated hot pad for his dining room table, and a framed blank copy of a KKK application from the 1920s. He said the flags are part of his extensive Dukes of Hazard collection. Anderson loves everything about the show and has been to the fan convention Duke Fest several times. Do we have receipts on this? Do we have receipts on his love for Duke Fest so that we can prove that he doesn't keep a flag around that represents racism for racist issues? I mean, like, Dukes of Hazard took place in the South. Like, of course these boys are going to be seen as heroes by a bunch of other white people and not really going to... Like, I'm sure there wasn't much of a black audience for watching two white dudes evade cops all the time with a Confederate flag on top of their car. There was a very specific audience for that show. <laughs> Anderson said the reason for the KKK application is related to his passion for U.S. history from the late 1800s and the into the 1960s. You know what's funny, though, is that, like, you could get, like, uh, stuff that would be maybe, like, John Brown memorabilia, you know? You know, maybe you could get some abolitionist memorabilia, not, not memorabilia of the... Uh, part of America that seceded so it could keep its slaves. I'm already getting too rambunctious. The article continues. He describes himself as an amateur historian who likes to collect antique items from that time period. Which, three flags is antique items, yes. He bought the application about six years ago in Indiana. The former police officer did not remove the item from the wall because he forgot it was in his antique collection room. He said if Robert and Raina Math Mathis had contacted him, he would have explained why he had those items and apologized. Hmm. Anderson adamantly denied he is part of the KKK and pointed out that as a Catholic, he would be considered a target of the hate group. You know, the fact that he knows that, I feel like, puts him a lot closer to the white supremacist movement. The fact he even knows enough KKK history that the second round of KKK was extremely anti-Catholic. The fact that he knows that is... You gotta go out of your way to find that out. And why? I guess he, I guess he loves history, right? He just loves history. Uh, Mathis is a U.S. Army veteran who was born in Detroit, he said in a news interview with M Live that Reyna is a native of Muskegon, Detroit. In the report, Mathis said he toured the home because he and Reyna were looking for a residence that had a significant amount of land so the two of them, along with their 12-year-old daughter and 21-year-old son, could spend more time outdoors. 
Mathis, who is black, said he became displeased when he saw the Confederate flags and the KKK application was a deal breaker for making an offer on the house. Quote, I was like, oh, my God, this is this is oh, I'm getting out of here. Unquote, he said. Mathis was disturbed not only by the flag, but also because Anderson was a police officer. Quote, if he had just been anybody else, he said, I would have just told my wife, you know, let's put an offer in on this house. Unquote. When asked if he contacted one of the owners, Mathis said he did not. He said he's had run-ins with police and might have been arrested by Anderson. Honestly, uh, I think that is actually a very justified fear. Even though this was in 2019, I still think that is a very justified fear. The report confirmed that the officer had six encounters with Robert and Raina Mathis. What? Dating to July 2008? In the first case, Robert was pulled over by Anderson for speeding while Raina was in the passenger seat? What a small... I mean, I get that they all were... This must literally be a small town. They both exited the vehicle and refused the officer's orders. Anderson placed Raina under arrest for refusing to follow his orders, and she struck him in the face and eye with her hand, causing minor injury. Robert was issued a citation and released from the scene. Raina was jailed for obstruction and assault on an officer. She was sentenced to 60 days and $414 in fines. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know... If I like them laying out these these uh, interactions that they may have had, because it seems like to be completely irrelevant to what they're going through right now. But uh, again, like to completely throw Reyna under the bus of striking the officer first, like this is a lot of he said, she said without a police report. And even with the police report, the police report would have came from Anderson, who had KKK memorabilia all over his house. So am I necessarily supposed to believe his arrest of two black individuals? <sighs> I'm not trying to say that the system's corrupt, but the corrupt ain't system, bro. Uh, blah, blah. In October 2008, Raina Mathis was involved in a bar fight and accused of assaulting another person. She was found to be intoxicated and was arrested by Anderson for two failed-to-appear branch warrants. Raina went to jail for the incident. Why are we talking about this? Oh, and then we get into the cops. So, like, if I, if I get beat by a cop one day, right... For like 50 minutes, I just get fucking batoned, just fucking beaten up because I had a, a, a counterfeit uh, $20 bill, right? They're just beating the shit out of me. And then they take my ass to jail and the, 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 the police come out like, oh, yeah, they found they found all kinds of anti-Mexican shit in his car and on his tattoos. But uh, did you know in 2014 he had the, the victim had two DUIs? What a fucking piece of shit. Like, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? He's a police officer. What are we doing here? There's, I, I hate to, I hate to say it, but there is a different level of accountability for police officers, law enforcers, and uh, and uh, people. Uh, people have a different perception of it than the state does, but you know, I think, I think police need to be exemplars of good conduct in society, and you can't have that if they have a white supremacist bias. It's that doesn't click. So they finally get to this. 
USA Today. During Anderson's 22-year career as a police officer, he had two complaints made against him. A complaint in 2010 alleged that he acted rudely and disrespectfully when he arrested two people and used pepper spray. In 2016, a complaint stated that the officer did not give back a driver's license to an arrestee and that he did not secure a vehicle after the arrest. According to WZZ-MTV, the report gave Peterson enough reason to fire Anderson this month. The station reported that since posting the KKK application on Facebook, Robert and Raina Mathis have received death threats. That was the very end. That was the very end of that right there. So I'm sure that they uh, don't get death threats to this day. I'm sure that's completely ended. I'm sure that's over. I'm sure they feel really safe in their neighborhood of uh, just wondering constantly of whether or not the police are part of a gang that hates colored people and Catholics. But I don't know if the modern day KKK really has that big of a problem with Catholicism. I would I would like to do more info research on that because I really thought they were just more focused on the Jews and everybody else. You know, the Jews really like the only religion they hate because it's an ethnicity like it's also in the blood so it can't be really eradicated through uh the mind it's it's like everything else it has to either be separate separated or terminated <laughs> that's fascism for you but you know oh man so that that was super delicious nothing burger um so he did get fired and what the usa today report also failed to mention was the uh things that uh this guy said at the end of his report let's see here where did where 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 did he go right here let's see he on. he lists we'll this right here more from the mayor and the police chief online right now at woodtv.com also during the meeting we heard other concerns oh, about officer anderson yeah one man said he was beaten by the officer yep. for nearly an hour yep. another said he complained about the officer driving on city property displaying what he said was the dixie flag yeah for now the officer remains on paid administrative leave we'll so they did not include him driving on public property with a, with the flag, and they did not include uh, that he beat a man for an hour. Uh, good job, USA Today. You are definitely looking out for people. Go fuck yourself. Moving on. Bruh, like, this one says May 8th, 2020, that he will retire with full benefits. He was not fired at all, USA Today. This is... Uh, this is Michigan Live. Is this real or is this a fucking blog? This looks like a fucking blog. Is that just what lo local news websites look like? <laughs> I'm shitting all over it. All right, so May 8th, we get another update. May 8th of 2020, about, let's see, September, November, uh, October, November, December, January, February, March, April. About another approximately nine months later we get an update about our boy uh charles anderson here and this will be the last thing i read about him because uh there's more to get about kkk infiltration or you know i don't really like the kkk infiltration of the police is like saying that antifa is the uh is the head of protests it's it's just white ring right wing white nationalists that is not easy to say but that's 
who is infiltrating. Um, they're not all KKK, and they're not all Linwood Vikings. They are uh, many different things coming together for a unified white ethnostate. Because multiculturalism and uh, brown people and uh, LGBTQ AI plus just scares the living shit out of cis white men. And, yeah. Um, so, Linmore from Minnesota Live. Oh, my bad. Michigan Live. I'm a piece of shit. Uh, says, a Muskegon police officer who had a KKK item and Confederate flags in his home has signed a separation agreement with the city. Charles Anderson has appealed his September 2019 firing, which came after a couple reported the items following a real estate tour of a home in Holton that Anderson owned at the time. Anderson, a 23-year-old member of the Muskegon Police Department, will officially retire on December 31st. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> he's, he's working all the way till the end of the year, bro. <laughs> I've fire according to terms of the separation agreement obtained by m live michigan live uh muskeek and chronicle through the freedom of Infor information act foia he will continue to remain unpaid and without city health benefits as he's been since last september but will receive his pension and retiree health insurance upon his retirement according to the agreement he also will receive pay for uh, a cured sick leave unused vacation according to terms of the police labor unions agreement with this city <sighs> this just proves to me that they take care of their own it's all it proves i'm not saying that he should have gone to jail for anything he just never should have been a cop and to be honest he really shouldn't be finishing his term either at the end of the year even though he's not allegedly getting paid or uh receiving health insurance right now but he's he, he gets it when he's done so basically once he retires who knows how long he's going to be set before he goes goes and joins the pinkertons who the fuck knows where he's going to go it's probably going to be some other job that allows people to bully other people i don't know why it wouldn't be oh man i can't i can't believe it. okay all right anderson 48 will drop his union grievance protest firing under terms of the agreement he was placed on paid leave august 8th 2019 and fired about a month later following an investigation the investigation determined that anderson did have the reported items in his home <laughs> i don't think that alone would have been enough to fire him i think keeping him with the record that he probably has is a lot more to do with letting him go because they could have passed like dude just get rid of the Get rid of the shit, hide your shit better, and uh, stay low. And then, like, that would have been fine. But knocking him out of the limelight for a bit of time and then his record coming to light after that, you're really taking care of your own to the extent that people will not feel served or protected. Uh, yep. The investigation determined that Anderson told investigators that the Confederate flags, some of which were part of dining table decorations, as if that makes it any less, were among his The Dukes of Hazard TV show memorabilia collection, according to a report of the investigation. A KKK application found mounted on the wall in one of the home's bedrooms was a 1920s era antique purchase from a vendor in Indiana, Anderson told investigators. Anderson said he was a collector of 
U.S. historical antiques from between the late 1800s and the 1960s, which we could argue uh, the 1800s, late 1800s, was the success of the first KKK. And the uh, just about the 60s was about the decline of the second round of KKK yet again. So, <laughs> pretty interesting timing there, bro. You know, this is... Jesus terms of separation include i don't know if i really want to read his terms of separation he agrees not to sue the city and the city agrees city agrees not to sue him actually that was pretty funny uh anderson did not do anything wrongfully and neither did the city um yeah i mean we could debate that too because the city didn't do a thorough enough uh investigation in this man's implicit biases because it like i said earlier it could lead to an explicit biases that might end up him killing somebody so uh wow uh, all jesus christ he will be paid for 392 hours of a cured vacation and 261 hours of sick leave sick leave fuck man like if if i knew all it would take to to not work i would have been a cop for 20 years and like the 20 rest of years of my life i could just sit on my porch and be racist as shit <sighs> quote this agreement will allow the community to move forward as we bring closure to this unfortunate event Muskegon city manager Frank Peterson told Michigan Live, declining to say anything further. That what a what a fucking vacuous empty statement. What a little dick energy statement right there. This agreement will allow the community to move forward as we bring closure to this unfortunate event. Such little dick energy on that, bro. Whereas we need to make sure that our police are not uh, infiltrated and corrupted and that they can perform their job to the extent that we uh, claim them to be so uh, Frank Peterson please resign find some time and quit your job Anderson could not be reached for comment in an interview with city investigators Anderson denied being a racist quote I would explain it as exactly what I already explained to you why it was there and that it meant no ill intent, and I apologize if it did, and why it created this mess, Anderson said, according to a transcript of his interview with investigators. I mean, I didn't even know it was up there, and it was a mistake. I meant no harm against anyone. Unquote. Now, I believe him. I believe that he did not mean any harm with his decorations inside of his home. I can't agree that the items in his home don't reflect his personal beliefs. I just can't believe that he would buy three Confederate flags because he loves the Dukes of Hazard. Did he have the car? Did he have a model of the car? Did he at least have a toy version of it? Did he have a, a, a poster of uh, Jessica Simpson from the movie? I anything other than three confederate flags that would prove he was interested in the dukes of hazard oh he was into history well it seems like he was interested in one side of the history it's like when we want to tear down 
Confederate statues and they say, but the heritage, the history. It's the same thing. He just, he has it in his home, which he is entitled to his privacy. But the thing is, is he is a cop. And so when you have these kind of ideologies in a system that we're constantly wondering, in an institution that we're constantly wondering of whether or not it's racist, we find out that there's racist within it. <laughs> it's, uh, are they compromised? Are they? Are they? I feel like this is a great question we need to continually bring up as people are saying abolish the police defund the police reform the police it's very important because the racists can easily just say i'm not racist but that doesn't mean that everything going on behind the eyes and behind the mouth saying this isn't thinking racistly <laughs> irrationally is what i meant to say but i said racistly as if that was a word Anderson denied allegations that he had left those items up intentionally to ward off people of color who may have had an interest in buying the home when asked by police, according to a transcript of the interview. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, the couple, Roy and Raina Matithis, who reported the items are African-American. Anderson confirmed that he had a wall decoration with a Dixie flag, two Confederate flags hanging in his garage, and one featured on a Duke's theme hot pot placement placemat. That was sitting on his kitchen table when the couple viewed Anderson's home. Now, this is the first time that I heard Duke's theme hot pot plat placemat because I did hear uh, uh, the, that he had a Confederate flag on another placemat. So, there's inconsistencies between media, so that's great. Uh, yep, and there he goes talking about uh, the Dukes of Hazard. There it is, yet again. As if the Dukes of Hazard having that on their roof wasn't just as racist. In interviews conducted by police, Anderson said he did not know Rob and Raina Mathis. The couple said the same about Anderson during their interviews. The couple acknowledged that they had a negative past interactions with police, but were unsure if they involved Anderson. However, a section of the inquiry report includes summaries of six different times the couple came into contact with Anderson while he was out in patrol. The incidents happened between 2008 and 2014. Here we go. Attacking Raina Mathis's character yet again with the uh, time she slapped him in the face. So, cool. I'm glad every everybody needs to bring that up. It's a small town. I'm I'm glad that we have to know literally that that detail, which uh, so far proves to have absolutely nothing to do with the situation that's going on. Neither of each other knew who whose house it was and who was viewing it. So this is all irrelevant to say that they've met six times before even as both parties admit to not remembering their interactions so um that's great <laughs> however uh at least they added this which usa today didn't however robin reina mathis told muskegon chronicle mlive.com that the summaries were inaccurate rob mathis said he didn't think the incidents had bearing on what they found at anderson's home saying the references to them were smear tactics i i appreciate mlive including that because usa today did not um that was gross <laughs> usa today that was gross Anderson filed a grievance against the city uh, hours after he was fired from the department. Anderson's grievances stated that the city violated the police union's contract when it wrongfully fired him. As a remedy, uh, he got a nice plea deal out of it. So, 
not a plea deal, but he got a nice deal out of it. Peterson said during a grievance hearing that the city offered Anderson the chance to take another position elsewhere within the city that wasn't in the police department, but Anderson declined the offer. <laughs> Can't hire a white supremacist here, so why don't we just hire him there? Um, it's great. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, nothing to worry about in Muskegon over there. There's definitely not more working in the police force, would there be? We're not sure because the reports aren't uh, really coming out about how much our police are uh, infiltrated right now or corrupted or compromised right now. But, you know, at least with Behind the Police by Robert Evans, we do get a uh, easy listen, comprehensive story of just the past interactions that were even more blatant back in the early 1900s of police officers actually dressed in kkk uniforms um i forgot what's what town specifically that had happened in Oh, nice. Not what I meant to look. Um, uh, I like, yeah. I I think it was um, fuck. It was in Cal. It was in California. Or was it Florida? Wherever the Disney World was. That's how I remembered it. Anaheim. It was in Anaheim. Yep. And the LA Times even has uh, ugly, violent history in Anaheim. Here's a picture that's uh, a bunch of KKK or four KKK members in an old Ford with a sign that says Ku Klux Klan Lecture, 8 p.m. tonight. Christian Tabernacle. <laughs> that's cute. Uh, the, the, the caption says Ku Klux Klan members ride in an automobile advertising a lecture at the Anaheim Christian Tabernacle in 1915. Uh, in Anaheim, they actually had police in uniform, like in a KKK uniform. Boom. Is there a history of KKK activity in Anaheim? Who are they asking this? Or is this like rhetorical just for them to move their sections? Okay. It's rhetorical, and they're just answering it. Yes, Klansmen were once the dominant political force in Anaheim, holding four of five city council seats before a recall effort led to their ouster in 1924. At the height of the group's power in Orange County, nearly 300 Klansmen lived in Anaheim, patrolling city streets in robes and masks. A large KKK rally once attracted 20,000 people to the city. I just want to tell you guys that all these people had kids. Not all of them, but a large majority of them had kids where they passed down their stupid, dumb beliefs. How that could not affect us here in the future, as time passes, how that people that, that would go over people's head is beyond me. Like, the history 
does carry over. I'm not very good at explaining how history is this domino effect leading to the present, and the present is a domino effect into the future, and each are all traceable in an actual timeline. Even though nothing is very clear, like when you, we talk about revolutions, we can't always pinpoint the exact moment that the revolution began, but we can always notice the steps that were taken towards it. That's the same thing applied here. We saw attempts back in the early 1900s of clans actually trying to take city council member seats and law enforcement positions. And it was a lot of fear because the black man was free and they were becoming very affluent and actually successful. And that takes you all the way to the Tulsa riot and what I learned today from uh, the, Tulsa, the Tulsa massacre and what I learned from today from behind the police which was the uh, uh red summer so it, it's all connected and it's all a part of our history and it's all a part of us and so by ignoring it it allows these these guys who are actually very in touch with their heritage though very delusional irrational and hateful as it may be they're connected to their heritage they're on a mission for their heritage so they're holding on to the past like a motherfucker and we keep forgetting it um, because we're trying to build a better future. But the only way we're going to do that is when we, we recognize the origins of the institutions that we've created and recognize that they're not really working for today, nor are they a great idea for the future. Whoop, whoop. So, yeah, Anaheim, uh, the place with Disneyland or Disney World or whatever the fuck. Uh yeah, it uh it had a pretty big clan movement in it. Yeah. So, go check out Behind the Police. I'm going to keep advertising it during this, but go watch it. So, that led me to this. We have an April 1st, 2019 uh article by Vita B Johnson. And Vita B Johnson is professor from Practice Georgetown Law. Uh, she had help researching this from uh, other academics and uh, maybe even nobodies, uh, but this is a research paper because the only thing that you're going to, any information you're going to get about uh, white supremacists in the police is that you're going to get it from writers, journalists, uh, and uh, academic, uh, I don't know, ologists? <laughs> I don't know what the the, the the correct word is, but we're going to get it from PhDs and not PDs. Yana Wamin. We're not going to get it from the FBI either. So just before I get into Vita B. Johnson's, uh, I just want to read the summary here. I don't want to read her whole paper, although it's important to include it, so I'm going to throw it into the chat of the live stream. So if you're listening to the podcast, go to twitch.tv slash the working class observer. Yes, I know. Mouthful. But if you go in the chat at this time period right now, there's a little link for this uh, article from Vita B. Johnson. Whoo, man, it is important. Now, the reason why I really started on this fucked up rabbit hole is uh, Torres... To G DOJ release uh, saying release FBI report on white supremacist infiltration of law enforcement. Uh, we're coming back around to this discussion. We're coming back around. We have Congresswoman Norma Torres. I think she's representing California. This is from her website, uh, from her media center, I guess. 
And it says lawmakers call for 2006 report to be made public in entirety and updated. So there's uh, 27 lawmakers requesting DOG, uh, a.k.a. William Barr, to release full contents of 2006 Federal Bureau of Investigation. Now, entitled, it's uh, the, the, the investigation itself was entitled White Supremacist Infiltration of Law Enforcement. Uh, provide an updated status of such infiltration and share how the DOJ and FBI have addressed the is issue since the initial release of the assessment. Yesterday, I watched a video of the FBI director, Director Ray, W-R-A-Y, discuss that homegrown terrorism is his most pertinent threat of today. Uh, but he was not very specific on who, what, when, where, why, except for there's extremists and they want a civil war extremely vague and that's because they think people who watch fox news are idiots um i don't agree but then you know that's that's all that's all, everything's up for debate bro everything's up for debate we're out here experimenting trying to find what's more perfect never perfect what's more perfect all right fuck it uh so yeah they're asking for a 2006 report and they want to know what's going on and how's it being handled? Because the FBI has actually been the group to uh, break up uh, uh, hate groups in a lot of ways. They're pretty good at suppressing movements, and that includes white supremacist movements uh, when they want to. But, you know, uh, we go into the, the Reddit chats here, and we scroll down because somebody did find the report. God bless Reddit. Oh, yeah? I don't see it here. But at the same time, the rest of the chat doesn't seem to be loading. So, how are we going to do this? Oop. Don't know how to spell white supremacist infiltration in our police. They took the fucking police. They took the fucking police. Um. Wow, the FBI has a KKK series on their website. Uh, part one, let the investigation begin. Part two, the trouble in the 1920s. So the FBI does have its own history of the KKK here on its website. I'm not going to read into it too much. But yeah, the FBI did... Uh, confront the KKK in the 1920s. Um, we'll get more into that as soon as I find that actual report. Um, yeah, so maybe that's also another important read here. The FBI's history of the KKK. 
just to see like their uh, perspective of history. The series details the work of the FBI to protect the American people, especially minorities, from the evils of the modern-day Klan. So, you know, there's that. They're not great at race relations. You know, I could bring up the Martin Luther King letter. Uh, they 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 are the hand of the powers that be, but uh, they do. <laughs> They do fight, you know, white supremacy to an extent, not to a systematic or institutional level, but they combat certain individuals and actions. So, here's the report, and guess what? It's seven pages fucking long. Yeah, seven pages long about the uh, infiltration of law enforcement by white supremacists from the FBI dated the 17th of October... 2006 14 years ago ladies and gentlemen and those who lie betwixt 14 years 14 years they started reporting on this they've been fighting them for already like 80 years then they come out with a report and then just gone totally fucking silent in the past 14 years until Torres to the DOJ says release the report unredacted but you know maybe they have more maybe they have more so let's go in. Let's go in. What what do they have to say about white supremacists? Mm. Mm. Pardons. Let's get let's get a drink of water. Yeah, hiccups. Mm. Got that holy water. What does the FBI have to say about white supremacists' infiltration of law enforcement? Well, it begins. This intelligent assessment provides an overview of white supremacist infiltration of law enforcement and derives its information from FBI investigations and open sources available as of August 2006. This assessment addresses redacted. Big portion of it redacted. It just says this assessment addresses and then all of that is redacted. You get a giant blank in the rest of page two. So let's keep moving. Page three key judgments. Although white supremacist groups have historically engaged in strategic efforts to infiltrate and recruit law enforcement communities, redacted. The primary threat, and this is the next point, the primary threat from infiltration or recruitment arises from the areas of intelligence collection and exploitation, which can lead to investigative breaches and can jeopardize the safety of law enforcement sources and personnel. This is the next point. White supremacist presence among law enforcement personnel is a concern due to the access they may possess to restricted areas vulnerable to sabotage and to elected officials or protected persons who they could see as potential targets for violence redacted. The next point, the intelligence acquired through the successful infiltration of law enforcement by one supremacist group can benefit other groups due to the multiple allegiances white supremacists typically hold. So it's uh, white supremacy is the only ideology that fits, but the group is pretty wide. You can have them from libertarians to uh, authoritarians. You, you could have ANCAP. <sighs> <laughs> white supremacists you can have all kinds um i think it's funny though that the reason why white supremacists are actually a threat it's not it doesn't say anything about public i don't see public threat here i say i i see ac uh concern due to access they may possess to restricted areas vulnerable to sabotage 
So they're worried if they go to war against their civilians that the white supremacists would have better access to certain areas that would make the government vulnerable. Uh, they would pose a threat to elected officials. So that's a threat. Uh, or protected persons. Very specific. Uh, the the FBI has a class. There's a list somewhere of protected persons. And guess what? I ain't on it. You got to wonder if you are. <sighs> All right. So the next page. What have we learned so far? Like about the infiltration? Absolutely nothing. We know that the FBI has certain concerns of the threat. But uh, to what extent is it at? How bad is it? We don't know yet. We're on page four. This assessment examines white supremacist infiltration of law enforcement from perspectives of both strategic infiltration by organized groups and self-initiated infiltration by law enforcement personnel sympathetic to white supremacist causes. So that last sentence actually speaks to me. Self-initiated infiltration by law enforcement personnel sympathetic to white supremacist causes. That just says that the law enforcement job calls out to white supremacists. It has a calling to them like how growing weed had a calling for me like if you notice i have a flag behind me that says i smoke weed so it would make sense that growing weed would probably be a part of my personality somewhere so uh a white supremacist joining the law enforcement that's like a codependency kind of like relationship you know the primary th uh <clears throat> The primary threat from infiltration or recruitment arises from the areas of intelligence collection and exploitation, which can lead to investigative breaches and can jeopardize the safety of law enforcement sources or personnel. And it's probably because at this time, like, law enforcement is pretty diverse in their culture as well. Um, I'm sure the FBI is actually pretty diverse in the uh, cultures and ethnicities that they hire, but... Um, if they were to have white supremacists infiltrate their the FBI, you're going to start seeing, um, uh, I don't know, sh racist shuns is probably what I, I don't know what else to call it. There's going to be exiles uh, for their race or, or something of that likeness. But uh, the primary threat, yep, already got that. Uh, so the next point is redacted. Don't know why. But it has something to do with the primary threat from infiltration of recruitment arises from the areas of intelligence collection and exploitation, which can lead to investigative breaches and can jeopardize the safety of law enforcement sources or personnel. First point, blank, redacted. The next point, white supremacist presence among law enforcement personnel is also of concern due to the access that may possess uh, to restricted areas vulnerable to sabotage and to elected officials or protected persons whom they could see as potential targets for violence redacted organized intent to inf infiltrate law enforcement first point redacted the apparent sporadic reporting on white supremacist infiltration of law enforcement could be redacted the next point strategic infiltration and recruitment campaigns White supremacist leaders and groups have historically shown an interest in infiltrating law enforcement communities or recruiting law enforcement personnel. Most information about systematic attempts to uh, attempts by white supremacist groups to infiltrate law enforcement involve blank redacted. The next point redacted. The next point redacted. The next point redacted. 
what have we learned so far about law enforcement? Is that the FBI finds it a threat because of sabotage and threats against protected classes. Not necessarily the public. So this is, that's so hot. This is so hot. Um, there's a little quote here that seems to be a little out of place, but we'll read it here. It says trade craft. It's in its own little section here amongst a bunch of redacted information. So we might as well read it. Since coming to law enforcement attention in, t in late 2004, the term ghost skins has gained currency among white supremacists to describe those who avoid overt displays of their beliefs to blend into society and covertly advance white supremacist causes. One internet posting describes this effort as a form of role-playing in which, quote, to create the character, you must get inside the mind of the person you are trying to duplicate, unquote. Such role-playing has application to ad hoc and organized law enforcement infiltration. At least one white supremacist group has reportedly encouraged ghost skins to seek positions in law enforcement for the capability of alerting skinhead crews of pending investigative action against them. Leaders in the white supremacist movement have advocated confronting suspected infiltrators and to instruct them to provide their FBI handlers with low-level information that will minimally impact the group's activities. Another as yet undocumented infiltration strategy is for members to walk in to law enforcement agencies and offer information to determine an agency's interest in the organization. So that's hot. And there was that video of a cop going up to some uh, Proud Boys out in Oregon telling them that they should go inside because they don't want to look because they're about to shoot a bunch of rubber bullets on people and they don't want to look like they're playing favorites. That was a thing that happened in Oregon. So uh, cops are, there are cops. If they're not <laughs> white supremacists themselves, they may just be sympathetic to the cause. All right. Which I don't, I can't tell the difference, but like, then again, how do you get Andy? No. How do you get Andy? No. Because he's not white, so he can't be a white supremacist. Unless you, like, literally hate yourself to the point that you're willing to sell to the fact that other people are better than you just because of the color of their skin. Like, how much do you hate yourself? I'm assuming too much. Maybe the money's so good that he's willing to sell out his entire race because he's not going to be around for the genocide. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand, Andy, no. And he's a, he's a giant... Uh, paradox uh, that I it has to be money it's the same thing for Candace Owens to do it right it has to be money it has to be uh, in addition to its historical interest white supremacist leadership has also engaged in recent rhetoric that encourages followers to infiltrate law enforcement communities redacted next point white supremacist sympathizers the KKK is notable among white supremacist groups for historically having found support in many communities, which often translated into ties to local law enforcement. Although the First Amendment's freedom of association provision protects an individual's right to join white supremacist groups for purposes of lawful activity, the government can limit the employment opportunities of group members who hold sensitive public sector jobs. 
including jobs within the law enforcement, when their memberships would interfere with their duties. Recent examples of law enforcement personnel whose activities in support of white supremacist beliefs have come under scrutiny include Redacted, Redacted. Uh, there's another little off quote here. It says creativity moment movement. The following exchange appears among the frequently asked questions on the creativity movement website. Question. Do you hate police and military personnel? Answer. No. The United States Iron Heels military and police forces are evil institutions, but we have nothing against many individual cops and soldiers who are often the best of our race. Indeed, many cops and soldiers are sympathetic to the pro-white cause. It's funny that I couldn't tell the difference between a sympathizer and an actual white supremacist, and then we get to that section in page six, but most of page six is redacted. And then page seven is just the end notes, uh, which says that a bunch of information is unclassified, which it really isn't. There's a bunch of classified information still in this. Uh, that it has been redacted. So uh, there's an AP article that they referenced here that says ex-California prison guard sentence for 80 white supremacist gang. Uh, they got information from Brian Levin's addressing hate groups. So uh, yeah, it's a it's a seven page nothing burger from the uh, uh, FBI from 2006 and what I'm also noticing here is that it goes from page 6 to page 9 so we actually get two whole ass pages redacted so we get very little information all we get is that confirmation that it's out there but we don't get any information on how bad it is what their tactics look like and how worried minorities should be in their communities so that's definitely responsible right that's not con <laughs> It's nothing to worry about. All right. The last thing I have to get into here is this summary that came out April 1st, 2019 by Vita B. Johnson. I mentioned it earlier, but I think it is a great way to just round up this little shit cake and eat it. Because we're going to get more information from this summary. And if you, again, if you want to read this, it's in the description or not in the description, but it's in the chat of the twitch stream and it is here live on twitch you can look at it you can see it on my screen and it'll be on the youtube it's it's there it's real it actually comes from l clark i'm sure it's a university where the fuck did it go uh lewis and clark law so b2b johnson kkk in the pd white supremacist police, and what to do about it. Again, dated April 1st, 2019. There's an epidemic of white supremacists in police departments. Police officers have been identified as members of white supremacist groups in Florida, Alabama, and Louisiana. There have been scandals in over 100 different police departments in over 40 different states, in which individual police officers have sent overtly racist emails, texts, or made racist comments via social media. This is a nationwide problem. It is one that is not limited to just beat officers. Some of these shocking occurrences have even involved high-ranking members of their respective police forces. Now, I want to take a pause here from this because that's what I think is most important, why we don't 
why it hasn't been revealed how infiltrated law enforcement is for the FBI or from the FBI, the investigation itself, because we could find out that there are some in the FBI. We could find out that there are a ton in our military. There are a ton in our, uh, uh, our police forces and in our city councils and state representation you know some of them are open about it like steve king and some of them are not like ted cruz he's not that open about it it's pretty obvious though so the the thing i'm worried about here is that if we don't talk about it and bring it to light we can't change these systems even though we are knowingly working with corrupted compromised institutions so yeah we're we're literally rolling on a on a wagon that is on fire i don't know how else to describe it because this isn't the only issue we're facing when it comes to police brutality i mean the whole thing has to change um but the fact that they're they have such a white supremacist problem inside the police uh, it brings much doubt that anything is going to change until we actually get a police department that is not founded on racism and slave patrols and also beating down the working class having a police system that wasn't always the hand of the ruling class would be fucking fantastic that's a great start so back to the article Although the FBI warned of white supremacists infiltrating police departments in 2006, the denial of the problem has only enabled it to continue seemingly unabated. While there have been some moderate successes in criminal justice reform in the last decade, the existence of white supremacists in police departments hamper that success. Frequent incidents of overt police racism and the ensuing media reports about them make the general public, and particularly people of color, less likely to see racism at the hands of the police and criminal justice system as unconscious and more likely to view it as purposeful. These legitimate fears further diminish the criminal justice system in the eyes of people of the people to whom it is most harsh. It's a bad combination. Because if you treat everybody like a criminal, they're going to act like a criminal, especially just in your eyes. You know, I was listening to the lawyer... A lawyer talking today about you know what are you what are you gonna do if the FBI arrests you and uh, how do I know when they can't arrest me and the thing is that they can whenever they want now the charges may not stick in court but they can take you anytime they want they can waste a whole weekend for you they can waste a whole amount of period of time until you get your arraignment and in fact, I mean, I don't even know what the fuck is going on with Julian Assange and how long he's been held up. So there's also even levels to this shit beyond that. So back to the article, the summary. I might want to read this more, just do a part two tomorrow. Because uh, I, I am more worried about white supremacists than I am about COVID. Because, you know it's an institution in our minds and so it has a likelihood of thriving it's 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 very much like a virus that attaches to people's brains and so while covid is out there killing people so is white supremacy and uh to have it in the law enforcement is a critical threat to the success of our democracy and uh peace among worlds so
While there have been some moderate successes in criminal justice reform in the last decade, the existence of white supremacists in police departments hamper that success. Frequent incidents of overt police racism in the ensuing media reports about them make the general public, and particularly people of color, less likely to see racism at the hands of the police and criminal justice system as unconscious and more likely to view it as purposeful. These legitimate fears further diminish the criminal justice system in the eyes of the people to whom it is most harsh. As tensions mount between communities of color and police, public opinion of police is low. A third of Americans have an unfavorable, unfavorable opinion of police. The number is even higher among African Americans. 60% have an unfavorable view of law enforcement. This dispiriting relationship threatens the reputation of the criminal justice system, the physical safety of certain communities, and the very fabric of our country. Without swift action by state and federal law enforcement, things will only get worse. The problem cannot be overstated. So far, however, this problem has not attracted many solutions. Again, this was April 1st, 2019. One tool that could be employed to address the problem is a more expansive enforcement of the Brady Doctrine. Prosecutors could be required to seek out information about police officers and disclose that information to the defense when they learn that an officer holds these biases. The Supreme Court has long held that the government must disclose any information that is favorable to the defense. There is no doubt that membership in a hate group or ascribing to racist beliefs would be fodder for cross-examination of an officer and useful to that defense. The Supreme Court has established that the government cannot avoid knowing information that is favorable to the defense, and police departments are considered the government, of, uh, government for Brady purposes. The Supreme Court has never ruled on the issue of whether membership by a government witness in a hate group would be Brady material. Some courts have already found that evidence of racial animus should be disclosed to the defense by the government. By taking Brady seriously and searching for racist police officers, indignant, uh, oops, indigent criminal defendants will get fair trials. The public will be informed of problem officers through public trials and police and prosecutors get the opportunity to identify problematic police officers and take action to rid the force of these officers. So I find it fascinating that uh, over a year ago, uh, Vita B. Johnson recommended a reform that has already been passed and to actually use it to its full extent. So we have the tools to root out uh, white supremacy to 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 an extent to the point that cockroaches would survive you know the ones who can hide well enough um, but it would still discourage white supremacists joining and also discourage white supremacists being white supremacists on the force so it's a step it's it's not exactly what I would want like I said I'm I'm an abolitionist I think we should just restart it and have people who uh, believe in racial justice to take the reins um, of the police departments I just think it's fascinating that over a year ago Vita B Johnson is saying that we have tools now to at least mitigate this situation and so far, we haven't even seen it brought up today. And we don't see it discussed much. They say ban chokeholds. They, they say end qualified immunity. And yet every bill that they've passed so far is completely toothless.
completely toothless and it doesn't do enough to actually uh bring white supremacy into the light which it hates to be in it hates to be in the light especially in the light of shame it hates shame so there's a lot more we could do and it worries me that we're really not doing enough um, because the, the, the less we move on this, ideology, I don't know what else to call white supremacy, it's an ideology, if we don't move effectively against it, it will continue to fester, it's not going to grow in the rates that it may have in the past, but it's definitely going to fester, and it's another contributing factor to the, the, the reason why we could be in another civil war here. I mean, we have so many people just waiting for it. It's disgusting. It's disgusting because there's so many people here living in this country that just want to live. They don't want no part of any civil war. They don't want any part of foreign wars. There, there are people that are so disgusted and tired of wars, and yet we have people inside of here that have been feeding hate for hundreds of years years it's since they had to free slaves by force so it's uh it's growth that we see lack of initiative from our leadership to effectively destroy white supremacy and the the <laughs> the the person inside of me who acknowledges that class warfare exists thinks that this is merely a tool of class warfare to keep the working class beating the shit out of each other so it's unfortunate i hate it i ha I hate hate so much and uh unfortunately to add even more bad news uh the autonomous zone in seattle is losing a lot of steam and it is in fact going down it's falling apart so there's more to cover about that tomorrow white supremacy is in the police force quite possibly in a neighborhood near you and we need to demand racial justice and the destruction of white supremacy because without those two things um, we are going to continue being uh, brutalized by a racist institution every time they murder an innocent black person and we're fed up about it so thank you for joining me on my bummer out this has been the working class observer the class warfare report if you like twitter i'm there at class observer if you like facebook i'm there uh at knowledge plug right your friendly neighborhood knowledge plug uh i got a blog poordumbrebellion.net um there's likes subscribes dislikes um tell me how much you hate my nose um uh send me good quotes from like alan watts and cornell west because i can't really go to sleep without hearing words from them um ooh, jpeg mafia got a new song all right all right go listen to some new jpeg bro um yeah i was gonna try and find a beautiful quote here um, but I don't think I'm going to. I think what we should listen to real quick while I exit this out. President Trump's hope for re-election. Oof. Tucker Carlson talking about his hope for re-election. Uh, man. There's no, there's no good quote here to, <laughs> to end any of this on. It's all bad. It's all, it's all really bad. Is there... I just I just need a beautiful quote real quick.
Ooh. Nice. I think we should just listen to Angela Davis for a second from Democracy Now, huh? John Coltrane. Let's see here. Of law. And remembering and, and paying tribute uh, to this Thank you for tragic me. event, let us not pretend Please have a that we life. are simultaneously celebrating the end of racist violence and the triumph of democracy. Let us also not labor under the illusion that this church bombing was an anomaly. Uh, we know that Robert Chambliss, who was eventually convicted of carrying out the bombing, along with three others, we know that he had been responsible for bombing black homes and churches over so many years. As a matter of fact, during the eight years prior to the church bombing, there had been 21 bombings in Birmingham. This man's nickname was Dynamite Bob. He was known in white communities you know, talking about terrorism. Um, and, I, and I want to emphasize the importance of understanding how much terrorism, racist terrorism, has shaped the history of this country. And there are lessons we need to learn from that. But I've often pointed out that some of my very earliest childhood memories are the sounds of dynamite. Um, exploding. Uh, homes across the street from where I grew up were bombed uh, when they were purchased by black people uh, who were moving into a neighborhood that had been zoned for whites. So many bombings took place in the neighborhood where I grew up and we now know that um, Chambliss was probably responsible. Um, that the neighborhood came to be called Dynamite Hill. And of course, as you know, the city of Birmingham was known as Bombingham. In fact, on September 4th, 1963, less than two weeks before the 16th Street church bombing, the home of the leading civil rights attorney in Birmingham, Arthur Shores, was bombed. And that house was um, down, right down the street from uh, our, our house. Uh, you've also heard um, that from Vukani Maiwetu and from Margaret that on the day of the 16th Street um, Baptist Church bombing, two other black youth were killed, um, Johnny Robinson and Virgil Ware. Bombings continued to plague black communities in Birmingham after September 15th. And everyone, including the FBI, knew who was behind them. But Robert Dynamite Bob Chambliss 
was simply charged with the possession of dynamite. And J. Edgar Hoover refused to reveal the evidence that the FBI had gathered against the perpetrators uh, so that there was no trial uh, during that period. Now, I'm not arguing that justice would have necessarily prevailed had Robert Chambliss and the others, uh, Thomas Blanton and Bobby Cherry, Herman Cash, have they been immediately tried and convicted? Although since that was the only way we had to deal with such transgressions, they should have been tried and convicted. But true justice is about transformation. Justice is about changing the relations that link us together. And as you've heard, the Civil Rights and Restorative Justice Project attempts to forge justice in a much deeper sense than is possible within the existing criminal justice system. A broader way of thinking about justice in the case of the Birmingham bombing would require, first of all, a fuller understanding of the event and its historical context, and would require us to ask questions about the way our lives today bear the historical imprint of that era. What I fear is that many of the 50th anniversary observances, um, and there are many, as Margaret pointed out, uh, many that have taken place, many to come, uh, that, that many of them urge us to close the book on the racist violence of the civil rights era so that we can embalm that violence and transform it into something to be gazed at through the conventional lens of the museum. Maybe there's something to be learned from the way that the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute frames that bomb.